This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. A pair of late penalties in Reykjavik. And he's missed it, Bjarnason in England. Should get the win now. Manager not pleased. Whatever you think of the penalty award and just loses his composure here. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, your antidote to the pandemic of clickbaits. I'm David Michael, your host and editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me for an episode that uh, finally has talk on a new signing. Mr. Chris Bird, welcome. Hello. And Mr. Phil Shaw, welcome back. Hello. It's uh, finally happened. Villa have somebody uh, holding up a shirt. And I mean, to be honest, I'm not one of these uh, goons that's refreshing uh, Twitter every five minutes uh, to see uh, if we've signed anybody. I mean, I actually took a week off to uh, visit my sister for a birthday and uh, managed to come back and still we hadn't signed anybody. They actually waited until the next day. But anyway, we will uh, talk about that uh, later on. Have you been up to anything uh, interesting recently? Have you caught uh, All or Nothing, the uh, the Spurs version of that I have, show? Yeah, I've watched the first three. Yeah, that's good. I mean, he, clearly Jose knew that there was a documentary crew there before he took a Spurs <laughs> job. Yeah, he loves it, doesn't he? <laughs> Yep. Do you think that that was part of the uh, the deal of him taking the job, probably? But he, he is the reason why you're watching it. I, I, I mean, that's my point of view of uh, why I've watched it anyway. You can go for stats. That's, that's the way people that don't understand football analyze football is with stats. I mean, I'm getting pretty bored of all the hand slapping from the players every five minutes and shaking hands every time they walk into any room. Well, if there's one good thing about COVID-19, it's put an end to all of that bloody uh, high-five in Spurs nonsense. Constantly, though. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, well done, Delhi. You finished all your lunch. 
<laughs> oh, well done. You managed not to have any spillage at the urinal. At least you don't need a, d- a degree in physics and other things to take instruction from them compared to the Man City one. Jose yeah. doesn't come out with a, a whiteboard and try and reinvent the right back. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it is, it, in, all, in all seriousness, though, it is, it is quite interesting to see Jose, or Jose as he prefers to be called, um, his sort of man management, and you can... You can sort of see how in other you know other clubs he's been in how you know if you're you know one of his favourites he is going to get the best out of you but I think it's you know if you if you're not in the team he's going to tell you he essentially said if you are trying 100 percent then you've got nothing to worry about really yeah I think the the interesting thing so far is the players who were on the a on the fringe like your Eric Dyers and B Christian Eriksen who uh, obviously you know ended up moving on but just seeing what it's like when you're playing in the you know such a team and actually you've already come out and declared that you want out of there and the new managers come in and uh, the new manager in D- Daniel Levy you know Daniel Levy saying uh, hey, is there any chance to turn it and change in his mind <laughs> and Ericsson's just like no or Eric Dyer being hooked after half an hour and just sitting like the world has ended <laughs> in the dressing room been, been there Eric it's alright don't worry about it <laughs> and then uh, Mourinho saying mm, yeah I've, I've just stabbed him in the back and so I might as well start him in the next game just for the family but yeah it's it's I don't is it a good season to I think it's kind of a good season because I it's after so. the after that Champions League thing I mean you know what they did to Ajax and how they beat them in the dramatically in you know the last seconds then get to the final and actually not even turn up for it the process of getting there again getting to the very heights um, you know this is also a similar team that uh you know, came runners up to uh, Leicester as well. So they've had that double whammy of failure. And so I suppose it is an interesting time to how, how you know, how can you resuscitate that team? Well, it's it's a manager coming in and trying to instill a new kind of, essentially a winning culture, isn't it? Because they're, well, they've got good individual players and they've, you know, shiny new stadium and all the pieces in the puzzle are there. They just don't quite fit together at the moment. So yeah. that would be an interesting one to sort of see. Although I'm not particularly looking forward to seeing uh, reruns of Engel's mistake at Villa Park and Son running away to score. Uh, yeah, Son comes across really well, actually. He's, he's a very likeable chap. Yeah, his, his English is brilliant, isn't it, for a, yeah. um, a Korean? I'm interested to see. I, I doubt they will, but I'd be interested to know if they follow him to Korea because obviously I think it was early in the COVID, he took his national service, didn't he? Apparently, because yeah. he, he, he had to do it at some point, and this, the club said, "Well, this is the perfect time to do it." Um, and you have to do fitness stuff there anyway. And apparently, you got the highest scores ever in the Korean Army for fitness, well, which is a, a bit few- of an unfair advantage when you've got the, <laughs> the world's best sports scientists helping you. Anyway, welcome to the Spurs podcast. Yeah, welcome to the Fighting Cock. Right, coming up in the show, we will look at the latest Villa news. We have a new signing. We have a player leaving the club. We have a captain who's managed to uh, sneak into that England team. We have news of Villa actually kicking balls against other teams uh, in friendlies. And... TV games and then the controversial situation of currently at the time of recording there are certain games that uh, no Villa fans will be able to watch when Villa play. We also look at uh, Manchester City's football group as they uh, buy up yet another club. We look at the Premier League losing a territory as uh, China drops out and then we'll discuss uh, Mr Maddy Cash in more detail and look at some of 
the other targets uh, currently bubbling under. And then in over and under, let's keep a, a right back theme. We will look at Mr. Gary Charles and Mr. Luke Young as well. Right. Let's get back to Son. <laughs> <laughs> Villa news uh, first signing we we won't uh, dwell on it too much here we'll talk about it a little later on but Matty Cash is in through uh, as the first Villa signing of this uh, summer transfer window for 14 million and rising obviously uh, add-ons that include probably England appearances Villa appearances and so forth going out the other way and and probably factored in because he left uh, before Matty Cash came in James Bree whose uh, transfer fee although a lot less than Cash's would have uh, been taken into consideration by Villa when they uh, made their bid for Cash he joins Luton Town also uh, Mr Jack Grealish benefited from was it Winks and Rashford that uh, pulled out of the England squad yes Yep. So uh, now he gets the chance to prove himself. Uh, now security have uh, finally let him through the gates uh, because he turned up at St. George's Park and the security wondered who he was and he had a bit of a, uh, I think it's five minutes to get in because they, they were questioning whether he was uh, an under-21s player. But now he's in, opportunity knocks. And essentially, it doesn't really matter how, you know, Grealish obviously just got in because players pulled out. But, you know, this always happens and it doesn't matter how Grealish got in. He's through the door now and, uh, you know, there's a big chance for him uh, to make an impression firsthand to uh, Southgate. If Villa were playing Manchester City on the first game, you know, you'd have kind of, from a Villa point of view, mixed feelings a little bit. But uh, the good news is uh, because that game's postponed, uh, Grealish will return and still have a full week uh, with Villa to get ready for uh, the first game of the season. Uh, he was on the bench uh, against Iceland, uh, but didn't get on. Uh, maybe he'll get some minutes against Denmark. He's probably falling asleep, wasn't he, on the bench? It was such a bad game. <laughs> it looks like that knock... Uh, isn't anything major or else he wouldn't have been on the bench. No, he was training with quite a heavy calf strap, wasn't he? Yeah, ultimately, though, it was Berker Bjarnason who made more of a, had more influence on the England win than uh, Grealish in the end. Yeah, of yeah, all the talks sort of been about Grealish being in the squad and then obviously the, the other Villa involvement being Mings and all of a sudden it was, you know, Villa. Ex-Villa. Yeah, ex-Villa also ran, shall we say. I thought he was going to say ex-Villa of royalty. No, very much the opposite, actually. I was, I was going, <laughs> um you know, I had the chance to level the game and ballooned it, which is weird considering he virtually passed it over the bar. He tried to place yeah. it. And, oh, well. It summed up it summed up the level of the game, really. It was poor. I mean, opportunity always uh, knocks in strange ways. I mean, the England team has uh, turned to the better because of injuries or people pulling out. Uh, you know, David Platt really got his chance because Brian Robson... Uh, yeah, he was... He was- he was basically trying to be a dick and tipped the bed up on um, Paul Gascoigne and the bed landed and ripped his toenail off and that was how David Platt got into the England team. How he started. Yeah, how he got his, his starting place against Cameroon. Meanwhile, Villa have, uh, almost like under uh, under the cover of night, had three uh, friendlies. Uh, I mean, other teams have been screening their... I mean, Spurs screened their three friendlies that they played at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium free to uh, members but uh, Villa have been uh, literally behind closed doors in their 1-1 draw with Bristol City I think it was two games of 60 minutes wasn't it and Samatas Samatas scored in that and then there was a more conventional 90 minute run out against Wickham which ended 5-2 
It's 3-1 at half time. El Ghazi scored two. Nealon saved a penalty. And uh, Samata... Scored with his feet, apparently. I don't believe that. No. I mean, I think and, they, weren't, uh, um, they weren't screened, I believe, just because they were... They were both played at training grounds as opposed to actual stadiums. So. Yeah, and Konza and uh, Trezeguet were also... Uh, well, Trezeguet always scores, doesn't he? That's what we're going to get bored of talking about that soon. Yeah, well, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And then the the third and final friendly that they've played... Well, not final. I think they have Manchester United lined up. Is that... Uh, Apparently uh, here, so, yes. Here Apparently so, yeah. But they went to the Emirates and uh, won 3-2 which was pretty good considering there was no Grealish, Mings, Orahan, McGinn. Arsenal were debuting uh, Willian and had their top man up front as well, who bagged two. Yeah, and, and young Ramsey got a couple of goals, didn't he, as well, which will do his hype no harm. Douglas Louise opened the scoring. Bamiang uh, equalised, Ramsey made it 2-1, Aubameyang scored again, and then he, Ramsey popped up again for the winner. I noticed uh, there wasn't much info of, of this game going about. It was, uh, I think, Arsenal put out a, uh, a final score. There was a journalist at the game putting out a couple of details, but uh, it didn't stop the... Uh, I think Birmingham Mail put out reports, and you're thinking, oh, that a match report. At least they somebody was at the game. So the definitive uh, word. No, that's that's another outlet that says that. <laughs> but uh, you, you know, you're just thinking. Well, normally the local newspaper does uh, cover all the friendlies, and actually, you know, if they go on the tour, covers that as well. And uh, the whole article was literally just from the two tweets that pretty much everybody saw. So no report in reality. Which, no, and uh, there's no like leaked videos or anything which you sometimes get, don't you, as well? Yeah, Villa's finest moment for the last five years and uh, <laughs> there's yeah, no, no evidence <laughs> No evidence that it actually happened. It was the result that really should have happened at the Emirates in the league. I mean, I've said this on social media. Yeah, that was the game that got away, wasn't it, last year? Yeah, hey ho! But still, it's a it's a, it's something that'll give uh, a bit of confidence for the lads, knowing that they don't need Grealish or Mings or Horahan or uh, McGinn to uh, get results uh, in difficult uh, away trips. Hashtag strength in depth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the League Cup apparently is still going. Uh, who, who have we got in the next round? The draw was has been made. Our uh, campaign this season starts at Burton Albion, nice and close to home, and then we get the winner of Bristol City or Northampton. That'll be away from home as well. We should be through to round four, you would hope. Uh, we never know with uh, Villa nowadays, but who knows? We may be off to uh, get our bye to the semi-final like we did last season. Yeah, the, the annual bye. Yeah. Against everyone's reserve teams. In terms of uh, Villa TV action, they have uh, Fulham confirmed on Sky and uh, Amazon will screen two of their Christmas period games against Burnley and then the one after Christmas against Chelsea. Speaking of which, uh, three points. Uh, first points is currently there's a bit of a protest going on uh, that started off as um, Football Supporters Association lobbying uh, some key MPs and uh, shadow ministers and uh, the sports minister regarding the fact that I think it's hashtag letters watch. The fact that uh, because of a lot of these games being behind closed doors before a percentage of fans are let into a stadium, there'll be games that will be slipping through which fans won't be able to actually A, see in the flesh or on TV, which really demotes the role of the fan to, you know, bottom of the pile. And I think that's Villa's game against Sheffield United. You won't be able to watch that legally. They don't screen games at three o'clock to obviously protect the match going fans, especially uh, lower league 
and you know make sure attendance is uh, are, are unaffected there you're, you're in a position where no fans are, are watching the game so this is real real football with no fans because you don't even get to legally uh, see them on tv i mean what do you think about this yeah, as you said, it's the legally thing, isn't it? Because all the fans now are just going to be scrambling around on Twitter for foreign streams and stuff. We wouldn't it's do that. Like, would why we? not? You know, why not just do it through you know, a higher quality, more stable, legitimate way? You know, if the club can do it through their own channels, why not do that? I don't. It's just the the Premier League being. I don't know. If, is it greedy? Is it obstructive? I, I don't know what. What is to gain by not letting fans not watch their team? At some point, they will just start to lose fans. You know, younger fans are going, fuck this, I'm going to go and play Fortnite. I can't be arsed with football anymore. Well, the EFL are actually uh, rolling it out so you can uh, buy a game for 10 quid a pop, which is, you know, pretty pricey, but still uh, it's demand and supply, isn't it? The way they win is £10 to, to pay for view for a game compare it to the uh you know the i follow with the efl where it was like six pounds or five pounds even this is how they get you the, you know you'll hear a fan say oh well you know tickets are like 30 pounds so uh you know 10 pounds is all right i mean it's a big difference between going to the game and seeing something on tv that actually you can get for free on tv yeah but in, in context if you have to pay to watch every villa game at 10 pound a pop you're spending 380 quid you can watch West Ham in the stadium for cheaper than that for an adult season ticket. Can you? Yep. With with binoculars? Yeah. <laughs> 270 quid. They've got one of the cheapest season tickets, haven't they, in the league? Yeah, with binoculars and uh, blindfold, probably. <laughs> that, that would help. But when we talk about the Premier League, there are 20 stakeholders in the Premier League, and one of those is Aston Villa. Premier League is owned by you know the teams that are actually in it, and they no, get it's to, not. It's owned by Man City, and they get to vote on uh, all these issues. So they did have a meeting on the day we recorded this podcast, and uh, apparently they haven't voted on it yet. But it's starting to lean towards actually doing something in terms of supplying uh, the capabilities of watching these games uh, that may change once fans are allowed back in, um, e- even if it's just like thirty percent of uh, the stadium's capacity. But we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, Brighton actually staged a, a test event uh, in their friendly against Chelsea, uh, which I think finished one one all, where two and a half thousand fans were uh, allowed in. I mean, meanwhile, uh, Villa, after that game took place, we finally got our first email from the club regarding uh, fan consultation, regarding the prospect of fans coming in. But I mean, this consultation, that email saying why Villa had delayed doing anything should have been made ages ago and you know they put out a survey I'm, I'm still unsure who exactly it's gone to some season ticket holders yeah I got have it, it but I don't know who some of them some have got it some haven't yeah I got it but then you got season ticket holders who are saying uh, you know they haven't received it so you know it would have been nice for Aston Villa support fan consultation group to actually have an email saying yeah we're sending out a survey anything you want including in it any ideas for it and by the way we want we're going to send it to you know either a 5,000 fan case study or, you know, all the season ticket holders or, you know, or just just so when people ask you who it's been sent to, you can actually say, because when I've put out Facebook posts or whatever saying, you know, how did you find the survey? A lot of fans are saying, well, I'm a season ticket holder and I haven't received it. So at least you could tell them what who it's actually gone to. Anyway, maybe it's just a box ticking exercise. We will find out. I'd imagine out. so. Some of the options that were in there were very sort of bit stunk of the usual villa thing of this is what we're going to do what do you think but either way we're going to do it anyway 
Yeah, and this is the whole idea. Fa- uh, support a consultation, structured dialogue as the governments uh, have ordained it and the Premier League are actually supportive of should be, uh, you know, it should be a, a meshed thing. That's It's not like an afterthought. It's not a, a box ticking exercise. Your supporters are there uh, and, you know, we give consultation through knowledge of following the club that a lot of people who are just working there and have worked there for one or two years and have no real context of the club are making decisions and they're missing out on the the opportunity having you know of just another pair of eyes another pair of ears of you know consultation whether they act upon anything we say is is another matter but at least they've done their due diligence but it seemed to be it seems to be very much like a box ticking exercise at the moment and 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 an afterthought Anyway, uh, moving on. Point number two, the City Football Group, who uh, it's basically Manchester City, isn't it? Have added a, f- a tenth team to their conglomerate, French club Troyes, who uh, you remember back in Villa's Intertoto Cup days, they actually also won the Intertoto Cup back in 2001. And even though they're in Liga 2, I mean, they're you know they've they've been in the top tier uh, they've had their time there so this adds to a group of clubs they've now they've got melbourne city as well as new york city so that's australia us there's the marinos in japan they've got a uruguayan team they've got girona in spain they've got a chinese team they've got a indian team mumbai city and they've, they've also got a belgium team as well uh, what happened to villa's uh, empire building because i remember uh, having a meeting with winus and uh, it was also got into the press that they were going to uh, hook up with a Danish team and another team. I can't remember. Yeah, which it was, was all it part French? of. Yeah, this was all part of Steve Round's Villa engine, wasn't it? But it never ended up happening. No, it's not something to do with the engine. The engine was the way of playing. This was like uh, building an infrastructure to take academy players and create breeding grounds, but also create uh, potential uh, clubs that academy players could go out and loan to as well. So it's this kind of self-supporting ecosystem. We could have sent, yeah, we could have sent Henry Lansby to Denmark. <laughs> exactly. but <laughs> They love top knots over there as well. <laughs> and, you know, this is something that uh, you may have seen uh, in the structuring of this uh, alleged, alleged messy deal where Manchester City are saying, you know, you play three years at uh, Manchester City and then you go to New York City so you can actually use your uh, empire of clubs to structure deals like that but it's uh, I don't know it's, it's, it's pretty scary the old uh, the way Manchester City have you know created uh, an ecosystem where they will remain top dogs because they are you know they've got so much money and so much infrastructure now that it's just uh, it's not even sport anymore well yeah it's like conglomerate level business isn't it it's just like carpet bombing the entire global football economy they're going to have dominant force in multiple markets and that will you would think I mean they're already obviously you know, a very established team in this country and you know I think New York City are getting that way in America I know they're not they're very much not top dog over there yet but they're you know because they've got you know geography on their side they can put players through that system and if they can do the same in other countries they'll have something that so many other teams just cannot do yeah yeah, the worst worst of it is, I mean, City can just pick a team out of that group. That I mean, say they have a player like Douglas Louise, right? We need to maybe toughen him up, but he needs to experience a relegation battle. We'll send him to Girona because they're they're struggling. He'll get a season there and he'll get those skills. So 
everything just makes City stronger. Just send him out to the team that will give him the skill why, that he needs. Why, why, why do they need to send him to Girona <laughs> to get relegation battle skills? Hmm. <laughs> Point number three, we've mentioned uh, Premier League TV rights before in the context of the Newcastle United uh, failed takeover. In that case, it was uh, Saudi Arabia. After not paying an instalment, so I think it was a hundred and sixty million. Uh, I think that was due b- back in March because of uh, COVID. Uh, in terms of uh, the product without fans, I'm, I'm guessing is the main reason. Uh, the Premier League has uh, pretty much ripped up their contract with uh, the Chinese. Uh, is it PP Sports, who, who are actually owned by by somebody else, who have uh, a five hundred and sixty four million pound package for live rights uh, up and until uh, 2022 but i think they've been slowly relegating the coverage uh, to like back burner channels and less off peak times so i think the main decision is financial but i don't know if politically uh premier league was starting to be kind of swept under the carpet a little uh, over there so it'll be interesting to see if the premier league can uh, get a deal in China that's uh, anywhere close to what they had uh, with PP Sports. Yeah, there was a bit of a rumour, wasn't there, that it was, this was a Chinese government uh, response to the Huawei, however you pronounce the, yeah. the phone company deal, that had obviously been pulled off them and all the sort of 5G saga as well. The Premier League have kind of insisted that isn't the case. Yeah, the Premier League will want you know rights to be in China. They you know Whether they like it or not, it is one of the biggest emerging markets. And they're still an economic powerhouse. So it's like if there's money to be made, they're going to have to do it. You know, in a time when fans aren't in the stadiums and the the potential uh, sort of Premier League utopia is you know, under threat, they don't want to be pulling TV rights. You know, two weeks before the season, and it's one of the bigger packages, uh, judging by uh, the amount as well. It always has a knock-on effect potentially to uh, you know the lower down in the pyramid. If uh, the Premier League said, right, we have to tighten our belts, so we can't you know allow these you know xyz payments to trickle down the uh, the tree to uh, clubs at the bottom who already uh, rely on gate receipts and and they've been shut down as revenue streams so if the premier league decides to tighten its belt in terms of where its money goes then uh, you're looking at increasing chances of uh, crisis clubs yeah, and it's been it's been described already as like a as a financial black hole that the Premier League have to quickly sort of fill. So you you wonder how how would this sort of play on the financial fair play? It's already been relaxed for, or sort of reaccounted for a couple of years there. I mean, if you're budgeting and you're expecting this money coming in and suddenly it disappears, I mean, what do they do? No, exactly the the overall financial structure of uh, the Premier League is you know starting to look a little bit precarious i mean uh, i think dan the uh, last time he was on his sh- on this show about 3 years ago <laughs> said there was always going to be like this tipping point and he thought uh, it had come and i mean it just couldn't keep going on and on and on and then you know they're throwing a pandemic and it's only going to accelerate the situation right before we uh, chat about mr matty cash and co uh, in more detail just want to give a quick shout out and big thank you to the my old man said patrons who uh, keep this show uh, rocking and rolling if you want to uh, join as a my old man said patron and get extra shows info and most of all also join match club which will be 
be firing up in all its glory very soon as we approach the uh, start of the 2021 season. I didn't do any uh, shout outs in the uh, the bonus podcast. So there's a few here uh, who have joined us uh, in the last week or so. Thank you very much to Daniel Gold, Matt Birchman, Jim Lynch, Daniel Berwick, James, I don't know your surname, Joe Peters, Billy Bud Sims, Chris Ballard, Dane Bertelson, Paul Bryant, Dick Sutton, Alex Mack. Uh, also, uh, now you can actually pay uh, an annual subscription uh, to be a Myomancer patron and actually save 15%, which is you know, basically two months, I think it works out to be. That's an offer that will probably uh, drop in a few weeks or so, so now is a good time. Thank you very much to uh, Tony Parton, Alex, again, I don't know your surname, Alexi Chris, and Paul Bryant as well. Well, and thank you very much to Matthew Minshall for upgrading as well. Please go to myomansaid.com and click on the Patreon link if you're interested in supporting the show and getting access to the extras. Uh, in terms of Match Club, uh, Mr. Bird, how do you fancy doing something uh, for the England game on Tuesday night? Well, we can keep an eye on Super Jack, can't we? So uh, if you're listening in time that is so i'll put out an announcement uh, in match club so we'll do a little warm-up session and uh, have a bit mr. of pre-season for everyone to get everyone match club fit hopefully mr Grealish gets on the pitch as well to uh, add an extra dimension and interest so uh, join us there to take your opportunity to come on and say how harsh we were <laughs> <laughs> yeah right main bit of the show new signing we're finally talking about uh, an incoming player to hopefully improve us uh uh, Phil, what's your first impressions on Maddie Cash? Well, first impressions on Cash, and I have to say on Lang as well. If you've seen the photo, Johan Lang has a, a demonic grin on his face whenever <laughs> he's presenting Maddie Cash. So he's, he's either been up all night working and he's full of caffeine in this, or he's, he's just really excited to get his first uh, sort of purchase <laughs> over the line. But in all seriousness, Cash looks like the sort of player that um, is very much what Smith wants. He looks like he would. He's just going to run all day and he's obviously going to add competition for Freddie Gilbert and El Mohamedy. Um, but I, I'm more interested to see if I finally get my dream of two fullbacks in each wing playing. So he might be a right wing option as well. Yeah, I mean, to give you a bit of context on uh, Cash, he uh, he's played less than half of games for, for Forest over the last few years in the position uh, of right back. So it was only really the season just gone that he actually made the switch. Although under Mark Warburton about three years ago, that's when uh, he actually did play a few games at fullback. So that's when the idea kind of germinated. The current Forest manager, Lamushi, is it Lamushi? I can't pronounce it. Obviously, it has got wind of that and, and played him there, basically re-established him as a right-back. And it's uh, from what how Smith has spoken about him uh, since he signed it is in reference of being a fullback. You know, there's this two and two plus five rumours that Gilbert is on his way out but I don't believe that for for one second people forget that you need a squad at this level and with uh, uh, Elmo he's in his last season is he not in terms of his contract yeah, so, last year, yeah. and Gilbert is uh, showed enough last season that you know to have the minerals to play right back for Villa so he will give Cash some competition there for sure who knows he'd probably start off the uh, season in the right back spot I mean if you look back to uh, how Smith started uh, the previous season where Elmo and Taylor turned up in the first game against Spurs when everybody was expecting the new signings you know straight in 
So you may have a situation where if uh, El Ghazi or Trezeguet or any new transfer player isn't working out, then Cash could play in front of uh, Gilbert. So you've got two, let's say, two of the fastest Villa players down that right flank. So it could be an interesting option if you wanted to go for a bit more direct speed as well. I mean, I, I like him. I've asked a, a pal of mine who works at BBC Nottingham and, he, and they, they love him up there. I mean, it's, it's always a really good sort of sign when you buy a player and, and you know, his former team and their supporters are, are, you know, obviously sad to see him go, but they also have nothing but good things to say. You know, sometimes you get players and they're like, oh yeah, you, you know, we're better off without him or good riddance or whatever it may be. It seems to be you know, universal across the forest, you know, fan base that, you know, he was deservedly the fans player of the year, the players player of the year. You know, one of the best rated players in the championship last season. Apparently he's sort of cut from the same mould as like a McGinn as, as Phil said, you know, he runs all day. He'll give you that sort of energy. He loves it. It looks like he loves doing all the dirty things as well. You know, he loves to tackle and get stuck in. He's got that little bit of needle about him, which I really like, and he can score goals. So, as you said, I think he's going to be a, a general right hand side option. I think I yeah. tweeted earlier that I think all of a sudden you, you look at the way Villa are playing with him, you potentially have other options to kind of go like three at the back players, play wing backs and push him into midfield or play him. Almost potentially someone like an Al Ghazi might be kind of bricking himself a bit now thinking, oh, actually, I've got, you know, if Trezeguet's in the team and he's scoring goals and can play on maybe on the left and Cash can play on the right, all of a sudden you're looking at you know what we discussed about Grealish, maybe having to move into the middle of the park and run the game and play as a, you know, a number eight or a number 10 rather than as a wide man. It, it just gives you some other options in how you want to set the team up which I think is important you know because I mean Smith we, we mentioned before about Smith that in the last sort of four games of the season he showed that he could come up with a plan B or a plan C and that kind of in-game management and change the, the setup and I think that'll be important next season where you know teams have had a bit of a look at us now and they know okay this is how Villa look like they might be setting themselves up. What I've seen of him one thing is you know you, you can easily find clips where he's scored his you know how many goals he scored for Forrest in total you know it's, I think it's just crawled into double figures and it's easy to condense all the clips of these players down but you know when you look let's say between the lines um, the things I've noticed you know he can tackle and he's, he's pretty good you know when facing a one-on-one but also he's got delivery with his left foot as well as his right which uh, I mean for you know 14 plus million you'd expect a player to be able to uh, deliver with his left as well but you know increasingly in this game a lot of players are one-footed predominantly but he seems to be you know pretty two-footed uh, but as you said, the main the main uh, plus is the kind of dynamoism and his his attitude. He's got kind of an effervescent, positive. He will bring an intensity which Villa needs, but also his pace as well is a is a you know genuine asset to the team that's looking to inject pace throughout the first eleven. And probably you know another sort of likable personality that the fans can buy into. Hopefully, in, again, in the same mould as him again. Whereas there's, there was a few players who we bought last year who, even though they had sort of good moments or bad moments the fans just they didn't really buy into them I think as someone like a Trezeguet or El Ghazi the fans they they might rate them or not but they don't kind of they don't tend to have an affinity with them with someone like Matty Cash you think if he's thundering into tackles and it's you know blood and thunder football it's that's the kind of stuff you know you just refer back to like an Alan Hutton although he looks you know far more technically adept than Alan Hutton but it's that kind of personality that the fans are you know he'll, he'll give you 100% every week and even if he's having a bad game he'll, he'll hopefully make up for what he lacks in technical ability and you know legs and heart and all that stuff and there's, there's a lot to be said for that when you're you know the reality is you know we're not a you know challenging for the Champions League or a, a team that are going to be winning every week you know you need that sort of personality I just 
just hope we don't put too much pressure on him thinking he's going to come in and absolutely transform the side from the off. I think he might take a little bit of time just to grow into the Premier League and the change of pace and stuff. So he's 23, so there's the first clue. He is, you know, very much one to, you know, slot in with your Conzas, with your Louises. As, yeah, he's, uh, he's up and running now, isn't he? He's not a kid. Yeah. As as players that will grow, you know, with Grealish. If it's often said that Villa are building a team around Grealish, well, this, these are the types of players that you would hope Villa would get in and then build with them. I mean, people have raised eyebrows at the uh, the actual fee. I think Villa went in a lot lower. I mean, they definitely went in for ten million. Maybe they they've tried an eight before that but you've got to remember that you know and Forrest would have known this Forrest and obviously know who our owners are they obviously know that we bought Matt Target for you know 11 and a half plus uh, add-ons so it was always going to be a figure there or there bounce uh, so in terms of the fee just quickly uh, it's pretty much similar to the uh, Matt Doherty of uh, Wolves to Spurs which uh there's no way he would have gone to Villa from Wolves that's for starters but it's uh I mean, I don't know how many years he had left on his contract, but it's, that's good business or Matty Cash is actually uh, very highly regarded. I think it's a savvy bit of business by Spurs. You know, he's obviously had a couple of seasons or a couple of good seasons, you know, in a very good Wolves team. So um, how, how do you think it com- compares, though, to Cash? I mean, who's getting the, the better deal there? We don't really know. Cause, I know, mean, I think need- the fact that the, the agent, you know, obviously got Mr. Mendes in the middle of that deal you know, who's representing basically all parties, isn't he? I think he's Mourinho's agent, he's Nuno's agent, and he's the player's agent, and he's on the Wolves board. So it kind of works out for everyone. I think it's um, probably a very easy easy move for all parties. Yeah. In terms of like value, I mean, it's, it's to be decided, isn't it? Matt, Matty Cash could, could burst onto the scene, as we all hope he does. No, Doherty could have peaked, you know, who, who knows? We, we shall see, I suppose. It'll be, t- you know, to be determined. Indeed. Going out the other way was James Bree, as we mentioned at the top of the show. But he's somebody that, I mean, this is a cautionary tale almost because he came in as like muted as one of the best young fullbacks in the championship, if not England. And we had high hopes uh, of him being uh, somebody who could get forward and was useful uh, getting forward as an attacking fullback. But that one, you know, didn't actually play out, did it? No, he just never. For whatever reason, it just never worked out for him. It's, you know, he arrived with the, the best intentions, I'm sure. But, it, you know, the fact that, you know, he'd only been there a few months and then Bruce went out in the summer and bought El Mohamed, he kind of probably, you know, spoke for itself at the time. Because Bruce was, was uh, you know, Bruce had seen him a few times when he uh, before he bought him. So he obviously had his eye, eye on him and he and he spoke, you know, very highly of him when he actually uh, signed him. I think because he, yeah, because he was relatively cheap, you could sort of take a bit of a punt on a young player. Whereas in hindsight, Bree looks back now and thinks, actually, I probably should have stayed where I was for the time being and where I was playing every week and I would have continued my development. Yeah, I mean, it didn't help him that when he did sign and he was at Bodymore Heath, uh, one of the first people to welcome him to the club was me. Uh, when when he was introduced to us, as uh, we had a fan consultation group meeting with Steve Bruce, and uh, they brought James Bree in to say hello. So we, you know, we all shook his hand and you know wished him the best and had a chat, and it was probably put him off. <laughs> it was it was downhill from there. No, what what haven't had a good record with sort of young British based fullbacks. I mean, I'm thinking Joe Bennett as well. He he came in and he's well 
Say no more about him. That's, that's, couldn't <laughs> yeah, do worse. That's, that's not. And on a positive note, in terms, I mean, Villa have got a bit of history with uh, converted wingers. I mean, back in the 70s, uh, before my time, John Gidman became one of the great Villa right backs after transitioning. And uh, more famously, uh, for a generation in front of that, uh, Mr. Kenny Swain, who started off as a uh, winger. Ironically, started off at Wickham, where uh, Matty Cash also started off. But Kenny Swain uh, transitioned from a winger to a right back, and a right back that won a league title and European Cup with Villa. So uh, this is what we're holding on for. Forget about your Joe Bennett's and your James Bree. We're looking for the new Kenny Swain. Kenny Swain actually moved from Villa to Forest as well, so, uh, the other way round from what Matty Cash did. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But I think the the player's attitude and uh, he's got this directness and he's not afraid to have a shot. And he, technically, he's, you know, he's, pretty, he's a pretty good shot as well. Could be, uh, could be a live wire purchase. And I think it's a case of, I think I mentioned uh, in a previous show, it's like that NFL mentality in the draft where he may not be your priority, but if it's a ve- you know if the best player is available you, you take him and i think uh in terms of right backs we we spoke a lot about smith uh, if villa were going to improve last season one of the the key areas was to upgrade the fullback position which uh he brought into new fullbacks but i don't think we improved as much as uh, smith thought he was going to in that department because it didn't really add much to us going forward which is the whole ethos of getting decent attacking fullbacks and there's no uh, coincidence that you know Maddy Cash started as a uh, as, as an attacking wide player and transitioned and that's kind of perked uh, Smith's interest I mean you, you know you just look at the best two teams at the moment and you look at the caliber of their fullbacks and what their fullbacks do 
and you know go back a few seasons to Spurs's best team in the you know last five years or so when they finished second to Leicester. I think they had Cal Walker and Rose on their on their fullback positions with pace to burn, and it does add an extra dimension to your attacking play. So uh, hopefully, cash can improve us uh, in in that respect because I don't think we improved as much as we were hoping for in that department last season. I, ju- I just hope he's a player who settles in, you know, reasonably quickly. Which, from the reports you see, he seems to have the kind of personality where he'll he'll slot in. And in terms of like, you know, he's a you know upheaval. He's only like an hour away from where he's been living in Nottingham anyway, so it shouldn't be too yeah. big a transition. You know, I think he'll be one of those who can arrive and and kind of hit the ground running. Our level of fullback isn't, it's not more than a seven at the moment anyway, before he came in. So I think no. it is definitely a room for improvement situation. And as we said, there's no room for sentiments in, if you can improve the first 11. And also, you know, if if um, if he gives, if that him, him arriving gives Gilbert a kick up the arse and Gilbert gets that shirt and makes it his own, so be it as well. No, exactly. This is, this is what you need, genuine competition. I mean, it also, as you said earlier on, it might uh, give Elgar a kick up the back seat as well. That'll be him out for a few months if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, and another thing is, I mean, people online, especially people, are getting a bit sort of twitchy about the lack of um, transfer activity. But if Villa are going to be doing their shopping in the domestic market, which it looks like they are going to be doing, um, the, these players are already back with their clubs. They're already doing pre-season training. It's not going to be your Douglas Louis situation where he just steps off the plane and has to go onto the pitch. They're going to have a pre-season in them. The only thing is you're going to have to get them up to speed tactically, but tactics hopefully aren't as hard to teach there as fitness. Yeah, I mean, you've also got a situation now that, I mean, our fa- one of our favourite stomping grounds, the French League, if we bought a French player now, you're looking at, you know, two-week quarantine period. Yeah, so... In, in most cases so uh that is the lay of the land uh i mean looking at other things that have been happening uh sergio romero the manchester united uh goalkeeper who would be th- third string at the moment i would say yeah if he mm-hmm. stayed a united yeah, he's goalkeeper only been playing in the cups in europe hasn't he yeah i mean i haven't i haven't really seen much of him to uh make a, a real opinion uh i mean there's you know people bring out stats of oh yes you know 30 30 odd clean sheets out of 60 odd games but you know the context of those games are mostly cup games yeah it's, it's over five seasons as well so 60 games over five seasons isn't a lot yeah i mean the reports of the price go anywhere from about six million to ten uh, I, d- I don't think i would be going 10 million for him uh he has played in the world cup final there is that <laughs> okay add on another couple of million then for that no it, in all seriousness he looks solid if on spectacular. I mean, I don't think he's going to be, he might not pull out the, the sort of wonder saves that Heaton does, but equally, I don't think, I think he is going to come for crosses and um, looking at sort of United chat about him, he does seem to communicate well with the back four, which is sort of what, what we saw Pepe Arena brought to the team. So I think it would probably be a smart move if we can get rid of a couple of our keepers because we don't need five in the books. No, exactly. I think if you get him for eight million, I th- nobody's going to be grumbling about that. Where, where's Kalinic going? He's-, he's hard to get off the wage bill. Yeah, this is a imagine, bit of a- and, he, and he wasn't cheap when we bought him. So it's they're going to make you know a huge loss on him. I would have thought. Yeah, Neeland. I don't know. It's the same situation. It's like uh, these are stones around our neck. I think. Yeah, I mean, someone like Steer, I think, is easy. You could probably like loan him with a view to buy in a year's time. You know, and, and, he, and he may take that deal, and there'll be. 
I'm sure that we will see in the next few weeks up until the transfer window quite a few sort of loan deals being done last minute by Championship League One sides, whereas at the moment it seems like quite a, as we predicted, a very stagnant market other than, you know, Chelsea going ballistic. Yeah, the the main uh, mooted signing, uh, and he's been left out the last, uh, I think, three uh, Brentford preseason games, Ollie Watkins, seems to be like a deal that's going to happen. It just seems to be uh, a matter of price, which is holding it back. Brentford did sign the replacement this week. Ivan Toney from uh, Peterborough, so that's in place. That's stalled uh, for a week or so. I think over the price, uh, Brentford had uh, their initial approaches rejected. So there's nothing really in the way now apart from uh, personal terms and uh, the price, and that could be done by the time you listen to this podcast. So uh, we will see what happens there. Although when you look around, when you Google his name, there's stories after him from about five clubs. It's almost like this. he's got his own clickbait uh, cottage industry going. Ben Rama, what do you think is happening there? I think Ben Rama will miss out on in the end, just because I think Smith would probably like him. I think he'll probably get priced quite high. And I have a feeling with a player like that, that I think somebody higher up the division will probably think, yeah, we could maybe take a punt on him. I could see him sort of going to like an Everton or an Arsenal and sitting on the bench maybe. I, th- I think the, the prospect for him of maybe... Um, I don't think Everton have got any money left, have they? <laughs> well, probably not. And they're going to have to... Uh, has it James Rodriguez? Um, although they are trying to offload about five first-team players, aren't they? Including Sigurdsson and Delph and Walcott and all those boys. So there's a big overall trying to happen. But I, I could see Ben Rama maybe even being one of those deals that gets done right on deadline day where you know Brentford will just hold out for the, the best bid they can. Can. I think it's 50-50 at very best. I think Smith has maybe put his eggs in the in the Watkins basket, so to speak. Yeah. As I yeah. think he probably feels he's more what we need right now. Phil, if you could choose that of uh, one of the Brentford boys, who would you go with? I'd go with Watkins. I mean... Yeah, same. Ben Rama to me, I mean, it's one of those ones, if we really wanted him and he was a key target, would have had him last season? Would have had him, you, you know, would already have had him this window? I mean, I think a bit like Eze that went to Crystal Palace I think he maybe wants to stay in London I think it's just right that's it he's going to stay in London so it's which London team can scrape together the pennies to buy him and yeah. West West Ham look to be they've sold you know pretty good winger to the baggies and Dian Gana there so they've sold him for around about 20 million and they think that 20 million will get Ben Rama done but I think it's it's going to go higher than that yeah, I think, you know, Ben Rama, if he gets injured or if his mind's not in it, he, he just will become a, you know, another Yannick Balassi who can be sensational on clips and highlights, but also can, you know, be totally in, ineffective and potentially uh, labelled as a luxury player, which, uh, you know, can we afford that at the moment? If, I think if, if we had a stronger first 11, then he would be like a bit of icing on the cake, so to speak. I just, I look at Ben Rahm and I, th- I think for, for the money you're going to spend, I, I personally don't think he's a banker in the Premier League. That's not to say he's not a good player. Clearly he's got assets that would work. And I think if you put him into a good team, he'd probably flourish. But I don't necessarily think he's going to, you know, the, you know, the cliche, can he do it on a cold, wet night at Stoke? It's 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 that kind of thing. I, I don't see a yeah. player who's going to be consistent enough to push Villa up into the next level they want to be at this season. I think Watkins has more of a role to play in terms of that. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, you're buying players 
to fit into a system, aren't you? you? know, last year we went and bought quantity. We've built a squad. The basis is there to a point. Now it's about fulfilling certain roles in the right way. And if and if Ben Rama isn't, you know, a, a priority, then so be it. You know, you have to you know let him go. You know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to walk away from deals. You know, they walked away from the Malpai deal, didn't they, last yeah. summer because they didn't think he was worth the money. Right, Callum Wilson is somebody that we kind of fancied, uh, but that looks like it's fallen through by the wayside. Yeah, it looks like he's joining Mr. Bruce up in uh, in Newcastle. I think our conclusion was uh, if you can get him under twenty. 20 mil. Yeah, good good bit of business. Good bit of business in terms of a Villa will start to uh, have something that resembles a squad of strikers. But, I mean, it, it raises a question. I mean, maybe there's two points here. Uh, the first point is, is Aston Villa as a entity an attractive proposition if somebody is choosing Newcastle above us, which uh, is a team with their current ownership, which is in a state of flux and uncertainty and has a unhappy fan base. Uh, so that's a big question because Project Aston Villa maybe is not so enticing. But there's also the factor that he's uh, a big Coventry man and... Uh, hates us. <laughs> he, he, and publicly as, as, says he's hated us. So if he wants to be a petty prick, then uh, good luck to him with the Toon Army. And, and enjoy winters up north. If, if someone doesn't want to play for you, so be it. We, you know, we've seen what Perslow's like and that Smith and him have walked away from various deals before. I think they would have known, we think he's worth this. We're not going to go over that. Yeah, The ball's in your court and if you don't want to come here, fine. I, I think Smith's primary target would be someone like Watkins, ultimately someone who he's worked with. So it would be, well, we'll take, our, you know, take a punt on Wilson. If we get him, great. If we don't, so be it. Yeah, I was hoping it would be both, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Uh, what about the the old Celtic boy? I, I think he... Edouard. Edouard. I think he would... Uh, Prefer, you know, maybe going to a Champions League club. I think so. I mean, I, it's really difficult, isn't Although it? Although the Premier it's, League is the Premier League, you know. What, in it terms of money, yeah. When you're playing in Scotland. Well, yeah. Again, it's 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 another one of these ones where you know, he looks a good player, but I, just, I don't necessarily think he's a banker. You know, he's banging in goals for fun in Scotland, but then so did Scott Sinclair. Yeah. I mean, I actually quite like the look of him, but I, again, I think for the price, isn't it about £40 million, reportedly? Yeah. I think that it seems very high for a, a player in the Scottish Premier League, to be honest. I think Celtic either know that he's a real potential superstar in the in the ilk of like a Van Dijk when he was there, or they're just trying to, you know, fulfil a, a financial black hole as we mentioned earlier from them not being in the Champions League. Yeah, I, I think, and I'm you know I'm not I'm, I don't agree with this, or, or, or uh, I'm, I'm just talking about a way of thinking is I'm thinking that Villa think well Wesley's coming back and he is like was a marquee signing and this boy would be a similar gamble I would say and I think they were starting to get a tune out of Wesley so they would uh, I mean when there was when there was that rumor about Brewster Liverpool's Brewster potentially coming our way on, on loan I, think I wrote an article saying that you could see a bit of a logic there in terms of getting in a loan player like a talented loan player like he is just to be that cover security for you know Wesley so you, you don't need to rush him back so you've got him covered obviously you're getting you know you know Watkins or whoever else but also getting somebody to cover Wesley even if you know just to January for example so then at least you can ease Wesley in properly I think I think so yeah I mean I think Wesley is deserving of his chance you know I don't, I don't necessarily think we can just go and outright replace him straight away I think that would send out a pretty bad yeah, message yeah I mean you just bought Samata so I don't I don't see Villa going big on a striker in terms of dropping 40 million or circa 40 million I can see them getting in Watkins and then maybe something else but either it would be a loan or something that has uh, gives them a different option in some way 
I think a dwarf, if he's still there in the last week of the window and we failed everywhere else, we're going to give Celtic that 40 million for him. I think he's very much going to be the backup plan. Uh, I'd be interested to know if it's just Villa in for him or if there's, you know, if it's a bit of a bidding war or what. I haven't sort of seen too much. I'm, I'm trying not to, you know, delve too deep into the transfer. I think it's us and Leicester. Vortex. Yeah, it's the vortex. I mean, I think it's one of those at the moment where if, if Leicester wants a player, I think you're going to go there, especially obviously with the Brendan Rodgers factor that he's, I'd imagine he's, he'd have played under him before, wouldn't he? I think obviously they're going to play in Europe. And I just, I, w- I wonder if, as, as David said, you know, if, if he could maybe leave Scotland, he might even go into the European market and get a move. But I don't know if they would, they would, they would fork out that cash at this time. I think no. he's, over, I think he's, you know, overpriced is, is, uh, the- well, that's the British market, isn't it, in general? Yeah, there's a rumour as well, but a buy-on clause that if out of 40 million, Celtic would only get 24 out of that. So that's how bad the buy-on clause is. Which would explain why they're putting the money up that high. Mm-hmm. Right, anybody else? Uh... Yeah, there, we've been linked with uh, Nicholas Eliasson from Bristol City. Uh, we would have played against him in our last season in the championship there, but he's um, he's had a decent season there. He's had 12 assists and just 18 league starts, 24 Swedish, so easy link to make there with Lang, you know, Scandinavian link. He maybe knows a bit about him there, but it, again, it's one of these ones when, when they just appear out of nowhere, you think to yourself that there might be something in that. You know, he, he could be a good like backup player, a good squad player to sort of slot in behind Trezeguet on the left. But are we uh, building a team that's actually going to set the world on fire uh, in this uh, second season? I think there's natural improvement just because you know, players are getting familiar with each other and, you know, they're a year wiser because a lot of them are young. As as we saw, you know, there were several improvements in the restart period, but don't we need tried and tested? Everton getting Rodriguez in is like a massive statement that kind of gets fans frothing at the mouth. Does uh, Nicholas uh, Allison from Bristol City do that after you've signed, you know, a championship fullback and potentially a championship forward? I, th- I think you're looking at, you know, in in the in the transfer window, you can have one or two, can't you? You can have the savvy kind of buy that works out, and we're you know we all want those. And certainly from a business point of view, that seems to be the way Purcell wants to go. But at some point, you do need the marquee signing. I think you need to make a statement, and I know that's very difficult in the in the current market and generally in the Premier League and where we sit in the you know in the in the food chain. But it would be nice to think Villa could actually go out and get a signing that makes the fans go, "Oh wow, we mean we really mean business here." Yeah, because I think, you know, there'll be gradual improvement. But what did we hear from John McGinn, you know, quite saying, yeah, the, you know, the owners spoke to us and said, yeah, we're going to bring in, uh, you know, quality is what they're saying. Like, we're going to have a proper go in terms of, not in terms of challenging for anything specifically, but just to, you know, get that ambition uh, fired up and, you know, fast track improvement in the Premier League. Not like, you know, hopefully in five seasons we'll be in the top half. I mean, that's of no interest to anybody. So you've got to show genuinely, you know, genuine strides forward. No, when you look, obviously we've mentioned it a few times, but you look at sort of the, the recruitment that the Wolves went down, for example, you know, they were buying a, you know, multiple Portuguese international players who'd been at established teams over there, and you know they bought guys who were a little bit more established, that little bit older. Who you know they were they were more than Premier League ready. So when they arrived, they hit the ground running, and you know people like Rui, Rui Patricio and you know the lad the lad in the middle of the park. Obviously, they bought Neves when they're in the in the uh, the championship. They bought a really high quality team, I and mean, they are an example really to so many Premier League sides of a side who 
relatively lean and mean got their recruitment absolutely bang on the money. Right, anyway, we will see what transpires uh, in the next week. I think things will start to pick up now as the uh, start of the season gets closer. So there may be a, well, I don't know if it's wishful thinking, uh, there may be a bit, bit of a machine gun effect coming up in terms of transfers. Right, speaking of right backs, now it's time for underrated or overrated. This is where we look back on Villa players from recent history and kind of reevaluate them uh, in the context of uh, what they did while they were at Villa and give them a under or overrated. This doesn't necessarily mean they were a bad player or a, or a great player. It's just uh, how we actually see them, and you've got to make a case for them being underrated or overrated. There are no in betweens, Mister Bud. There's no slightly. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> There's no little bit. <laughs> Right then, first one. Who do you want to go for, Mr. Gary Charles or Luke Young? Should we start with Gary Charles? Yeah, why not? Uh, first question, why did we sign Gary Charles? Well, we, we bought him. It was, he was another one of the early Brian Little signings, wasn't he, when he'd, he'd just come in and wanted to you know, transform the system. I remember at the time, obviously, it would have been uh, Earl Barrett would have been on his way out and off to... He went to Everton, didn't he, if I remember rightly? Yeah. I think he was only a 1.4 million signing from Derby. We bought Tommy Johnson as well. So, But it was it was obviously little sort of initial stages of playing through at the back and, you know, the bringing in the win-backs, which at the time were, were a very different way of playing. So we wanted, you know, mobile full-backs who could get forward. El Barrett was much more of a defensive player and he wanted Charles to kind of bomb on. You know, and obviously had Alan Wright going down the other side who arrived uh, a few weeks after, I believe. Um, they were they both signed at a similar time, and then yeah. they became the you know the mainstays in those wide positions for a couple of years. Really, obviously Charles had got the got the injury in his I think it was in his second season at Villa, but for the for that first full season he was at Villa, he was you know superb through that Coca Cola Cup winning team. Yeah, he was just solid. That's like that's like what we're saying before. I mean, you didn't need to think about the right back position. You didn't need to think who was playing it. So Gary Charles is the right back. It's funny, his most famous sort of memory, despite winning the League Cup with Villa, his most famous moment was um, getting being the one that got fouled by Gaza in the Cup final. Then when Gaza did his cruciate, I mean, that was... Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, This was while he was at Forest, and this all took place during the 1991 FA Cup final, which Spurs uh, ended up winning 2-1. Yeah, I mean, the, the first foul by Gaza was another um, soon-to-be Villa player. I mean, he, took, he put, nearly put his boot through Gary Parker's chest. For the first file, and then the second one that he did, yeah, so he did, yeah, yeah, he took out, um, took out Gary Charles. Um, I mean, if, if you go on the YouTube and just look, you can see those two tackles. I mean, they're they're hard they're to watch shockers, now, aren't they? Yeah, they're awful. Do you think Gary Charles was better going forward than he was uh, defensively? I would say he was pretty even because in terms of what you'd see in the modern game, I wouldn't say it was like a cavalier. You know, you look at the way sort of like you know, um, like Carl Walker's played over the last you know, good few seasons or like Alexander Arnold. He wasn't that. He wasn't like lightning. He was just very solid and he could get forward. I don't think he was quite such an, a, a flair player as some of the modern fullbacks you get. But of that era, I think he was something a little bit different. Yeah. In that he could do, he could kind of do both. I think it also probably helped that he would have had any, any one of, you know, Southgate, Ekyog or McGrath in that centre period, and he had a very strong midfield playing around him. So, you know, he was just playing in a very good side that was very well drilled. And uh, how did it kind of go wrong for him in terms of him falling out of favour at Villa, do you think? Well, he'd he'd got the horrible injury, didn't he, at the end of that 
I think we'd obviously won the cup, and then it was in the April of that season. I think it was against West Ham, if I remember rightly. And I think he snapped his ankle, didn't he? It was a horrific, really, really nasty injury. And he, I think he missed virtually all of the next year. And Villa had brought in um, Fernando Nelson. The mighty and Nelson. The mighty Fernando Nelson. So by the time he'd got back in the side, he was he wasn't necessarily like, you know, you know, first name on the team sheet, so to speak. And then into the following season he regained his place again in ninety seven, eight. And I think when Gregory came in, maybe it was that transition between Little and Gregory and he didn't quite fancy Charles as much. He he still had a couple of moments. Managed to stick around the next season when Villa were were flying. You know, pretty high, and he actually had a really good season that year. I remember, he scored a couple of goals from the fullback. But then, when once um, Steve Watson came in, I think he found himself just slipping down the pecking order, and I think his time was up then. And then he ended up going to Benfica. Yeah, and strangely, actually ended up playing his uh, ending his career at Blues. You know, he left Villa, and then he barely kicked a ball. You know, he, he barely played at. Benfica didn't play many games at West Ham and I think he made like two appearances for Birmingham and I think this is was was in the era when his his personal life was quite publicly um you know falling apart and he had, had problems at home and his you know, these problems with alcohol had, had really come to the fore by that point and obviously unfortunately for him he did he had a couple of stints in prison didn't he yeah, I think they were pretty much linked. Uh, it's kind of downfall uh, on the pitch to uh, what was happening, uh, like a soap opera off the pitch. Uh, where where was he last seen? On a on a brighter note, he's now a, a sports ambassador for Delamere Rehab Clinic. So you know he, he's helping other people to to get over the things that sort of with the, the demons that he had in his life. So you know there is some good to come out of it there. So it's a happy note to end on for him. Yeah, and he, he went back to Forest briefly, didn't he? I think he was one of the co- he was in the coaching staff for a while, um, so he kind of went full circle with his career. But he obviously never either had the profile as a player to go in to be a manager. I think he did a bit of non-league stuff and coaching, yeah. but he, he never had the um, you know, the sort of the, the, the gravitas to go into the the, es- the higher echelons of management and you know be at a, a league side or anything like that. Right. Anyway, let's uh, cast our verdict. Uh, Gary Charles, underrated or overrated? I'm going to go a little bit underrated because I don't, I don't remember him ever letting anybody down. He's there with his little bit again. Yeah. <laughs> I think because he, you know, he didn't cost, admittedly, obviously he was in a cheaper market then, but he didn't cost a fortune. I think he was solid and a, de- a dependable player. And, it, and I think he gains favour by the fact that he actually, you know, he won a trophy. He was his performances actually resulted in something. Phil, over or underrated? No, it has to be underrated as well. I mean, if you're if you're a solid part of a, a very good side, no complaints with him at all. He was he was a you know proper right back that could bomb on, had a bit of pace that you know served a back three uh, very well. So I'll I'll say underrated as well. Right on to the second under or over, Mister Luke Young. Why did we sign him? Well, the s- simple answer is we needed a right back. Uh, <laughs> and we didn't have one. <laughs> no, <it> Nigel Riacocca, <laughs> uh, or was it uh, Olaf Melberg? It probably would have been Melberg actually at the time, wouldn't it? Or Carlos Cuellar, perhaps. Yeah, even Martin O'Neill said uh, when they signed him, uh, the right-back position caused us a few problems. <laughs> Polite way of putting it. The last season, in terms of us not having a natural right-back, 
I mean, I always remember this that season before. Like, how do you start a season without a right back? How, how, how do you start a season without a recognised natural position? You know, one position missing, and you're a bloody Premier League team. Well, and this was a this was a team that had budget. It wasn't like oh, we've you know we were having to save money left, right, and centre, or we have problems. It was like they weren't short of you know if they needed to do it, they could go out and buy someone. Yeah, so it was always a bit odd. It was almost like you're. Here you are, you know, Martin O'Neill, he's going to take you to the, the promised land, allegedly, of Champions League football. And you decide, well, uh, actually, we, we, we haven't, you know, we failed to get a right back in. So we'll just go for it. Go And go for it. Go for it. We did. When you look at the transfer fee as well. I mean, the season before, Middlesbrough signed him for two and a half million and we paid six, which raised eyebrows at the time. Still does. I mean, it was it was the money that got it over the line. It was similar to Darren Bent, where you've got a player that has uh, doing well at the club, or they've just been bought, and they've you know they've still got three or four years to run on their contract, and in the natural scheme of things, would not be uh, sold. But as uh, Luke Young said himself, uh, subsequently in the end, moving probably suited everyone. I was 29, and they offered very good money for me, and I don't blame Steve Gibson for taking it. It was close to six million with add-ons, so he made the right decision. I think he said in an ideal world he would have you know stayed at Middlesbrough because you know he was kind of enjoying it there. But Villa, we also got Nicky Shorey in at the same time for the left back position, and in terms of Luke Young, you're thinking, well, he, you know, he's an England international be it uh, a bit part uh, international. And he had a reasonable reputation at Charlton. I mean, he was a, a Spurs youth product, but mainly made his name at Charlton, you know, when they were actually uh, probably have, having the best time of their recent uh, history until they got relegated and then he had to go to Borough. But, you know, in terms of your memories, I think it was his, his, his first season was probably his best season, really. 2008, 2008-9, stroke yeah, he was he was good in that first season. I mean, that was it. Probably was the one of you know, the 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 best version of the O'Neill sides really that year. They, they they were really really well drilled, and that was the year where they had Melberg and Larson, didn't they? Right at the heart of the defence, if I remember rightly, and they were both. Oh, was this you know, the season that Larson played uh, an actual season? <laughs> I believe so. Yeah, and uh, and Young was you know he was he was getting forward, and he was you know he looked like a. They'd finally sort of, you know, solved the problems that they'd obviously had the previous season by having a, a proper fullback. But you know, the the season after, you know, he, I remember you know he sat on the bench in the cup final, and if I remember rightly, that's the following season he'd he'd kind of been called up to lots of England squads, but he never got a look in when he he would just go and train, but he was he was never involved. So I think he'd he'd rejected. Was it? I think it would have been Capello at the time. He'd rejected a call up to the squad. And he and his career just never quite came back from that for whatever reason, whether it was confidence or what I don't know. But he hadn't actually played for England since two thousand and five, and his final appearance in an England squad was a friendly against Spain in February two thousand and nine. So that's what's that? That's his first season at Villa, isn't it? And then uh, it wasn't announced then. I think it was announced in November. So you're talking about the next season, 2009 straight 2010. He'd actually retired, and he'd actually retired back in February, and he said it was for personal reasons. Yeah, he mentioned it. He just said it was it was becoming a bit of a joke that he was always you know he was getting called up to these squads, but he wasn't getting a look in. And I think in the end, he was like, "This is pointless." Yeah, you know, he was he would have been behind the likes of Gary Neville and Michael Richards, and there were there were other players in the pecking order. So I think he just thought, "I know where I am in the grand scheme of things here." 
I'm not going to get a look in. Um, you know, count me out. I think it was that you know that old cliche of well, I want to prolong my club career. But you know, the, the following season, he'd been knocked out of the Villa side by Carlos Cuellar. Yeah, and but he, you know, he also uh, was in a situation where he, he did play. I mean, he played 16 games. The you know after playing 34, which is like most of the games, uh, the, his, his first season, he played 16, then 23 and two, and. When suddenly Quayla's preferred to you at right back, I think he had a he, he made a few appearances uh, playing left back when Boomer got injured and Nicky Shorey just had his confidence shot to shit. So he was playing out of position there, and it was it was kind of a finally we had the solution. Well, we had a natural right back. I don't know if he was the solution, and then suddenly uh, O'Neill prefers to have that extra height and physicality in Quayler at right backs mainly for you know defensive purposes because Quayler over the halfway line uh, wasn't really going to do much for you. you you know you look at our fullbacks now and you would take uh, Gilbert and Elmo over him in terms of uh, once he's crossed the halfway line yeah it's a problem we've seemed seemed to have struggled with you know consistently down the years for whatever reason well, you look at the teams that are getting the Champions League uh, nowadays, and it's all about, as I mentioned earlier, all about the fullbacks that yeah, they it's do. become a real key position, hasn't it now? And you, you can just laugh at Martin O'Neill's fullbacks, and you could actually put that down as a, a one of the reasons we never did crack the top four underneath. You know, with him, would you say that's a fair point? Yeah, definitely. It's just a, another of his another of his many flaws that he probably can't attribute to himself, but that he. You know, he he would probably say, "Oh, we need to get a checkbook out. We need to buy another another fullback in the in the window, or another fullback in the summer." But because uh, I I remember any time seeing Quayler there, I mean, if he got the ball, he sort of looked up. I mean, he didn't have the pace to, to even carry the ball forward. He just sort of sent it down the wing and hoped for the best. I mean, he was lucky probably that he had Galway up there in his in his palm yeah. that he could chase after a ball into the corner. It's a, it's a shame in that in in that respect that. Villa had, you know, no development in terms of fullbacks coming through. Well, we had Habi Bay on megabooks sat doing nothing, didn't we, as well? Yeah, yeah, and he was also uh, a potential right back as well. And it, it shows you there's no real continuity or uh, long term planning because you get a, a Luke Young in, then you should have somebody, a young chap, being groomed to, you know, replace him because obviously Young came in when he was 29, so you're going to get a couple of maybe two or three seasons out of him. But if you've got somebody, a younger player rather than a happy bay you know soaking up ridiculous wages and you've got some kind of semblance of progress and planning but it you know as we saw it all fell to shit yeah because i remember when he left villa he um i think he ended up at qpr but he he had the option to go to liverpool liverpool had offered yeah. a relatively low fee and he, t- he, t- he actually turned the move down yeah t- i think it's 2.5 million yeah because he knew he wasn't going to play which with all, like, in, with all due respect to the guy, you, you have a little bit of sort of respect for him by at least he was a realistic and b actually, you know, he wanted to play. He didn't just want the big move to say he went to play for Liverpool, knowing that he'd just be twiddling his thumbs most of the time. But the irony was, he, he hardly played after that. <laughs> no, it's, it just his career nosedived, didn't it, for whatever reason? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a bit of an odd one. How it's almost like you know he got his big move for Villa, and uh, it probably softened his appetite a little bit once his bank account filled up. I mean, you could uh, say that's one possibility. I mean, his attitude with England. Uh, is another clue there as well, where he's just thinking, well, what's the point? Rather than as a footballer wanting to better yourself and, you know, maybe learn off people you're with, etc. 
Or maybe it's just a chronic lack of confidence. You know, some people have just got that fight and the get up and go to say, well, it's going to be a challenge, but I'm going to I'm going to make the best of this. I mean, you compare him to like another you know, infamous Villa right back in Alan Hutton. You know, he, he had a, a torrid time at Villa for a number of years, but he yeah. just stuck stuck with it and rode through the crap, came out the other side, you know, a real fan's favourite. And sometimes you have to do that, whereas it says a lot about the people, they're the players' characters. Yeah, no, that's, that's that's a good point uh, because Hutton, as you said, he was he was gone, wasn't he? Basically, he was a couple of out you know two or three times, times and, he was uh, dead and buried, and and just managed to ride out multiple managers. And you know, I mean, I admit that seems to be a theme that a lot of Villa players have said when you hear him interviewed about the O'Neill era is that if you weren't in the team, you were nowhere. Yeah. You know, O'Neill had his eleven, and then everyone else was kind of bit part players, which is pretty you know shocking man management in that area when you look at the the quantity of the recruitment that O'Neill did he yeah. just, it, was, it looks on the outside that he just bought in players to sit there and you know take wages because there were so many of them not featuring regularly yeah uh, Luke Young was then sold on to uh, QPR when he was uh, finding it hard to get in the Villa team uh, after saying that he would stay at Villa because it would be easier to get in the Villa team than the Liverpool team I mean, there was the incident with his half-brother who uh, passed away and was found dead on a building site uh, in Greece, in Crete, Greece, in uh, the period of uh, when he was at Villa in 2009. And that was something that was rattling on his mind because I think he was disappointed that the Greece police didn't seem to be taking it seriously and, and not investigating it. So, you know, in terms of, you know, mental state, that may have factored in uh, to, you know, his state of mind at the time. And at QPR, he was going to be going to Reading, but I think he had a hip injury and uh, that was pretty much uh, where he played uh, his last football. Since he's been... Uh He's actually he actually became an agent for a company called Pitch Representation, and you probably remember him popping up in those Star Sixes uh, that tournament they tried to get going with. I think he played for the England Greats with Heskey and Owen, and they were, did they take it? Was it the rest of the world or international stars? I can't remember what they called them. Where they had like players like Perez and Akocha, and they would call them the England Greats or the England Stars, and you'd see Luke Young, and you'd think eh, they're kind of scratching uh, around. Uh, a little bit there for England internationals. No, my abiding memory of Luke Young is like he had this sort of look about him, about a, a stare in his eyes. It was a very focused stare. I just remember seeing any time you seen a picture of him, I just thought he, you know, he's going to do some damage there. But it, <laughs> he didn't translate into that kind of player. It was a very sort of aggressive stare. But on the pitch, he, he wasn't that aggressive at all. Yeah, yeah I, I always got the feeling with him, as you said, it was that real high levels of focus almost like he had to work very hard just to get the best out of his ability he wasn't what you'd call like a real natural who made the game look easy under or overrated i'm gonna say overrated due to the fee and the fact that he, he was in england international at the time i mean if you at the end of the day if you're getting displaced by carlos Cuellar at right back that's that sort of says it all at the time unfortunately yeah. yeah, I'm going to agree with Phil. I think, you know, if you're getting the option to play for your country and you're rejecting it because you might not get a game, I, I, that, that attitude doesn't stick with me. Yeah, I'm also thinking if he was making the squad, then we were pretty short in terms of depth of right back, uh, in terms of the English uh, setup anyway. And also after, you know, one season of Villa fans thinking, finally, we've got this right back issue, because it was an issue at the time solved for him to then kind of drop off and as you say suddenly find himself playing second fiddle to Carlos Quayler at right back is 
you know, potentially there is things off the pitch that may be haunting him. But uh, at the end of the day, we're you know we're here to only judge the uh, the football on the pitch side of things. So I will say overrated as well. But as an agent now, he can if you're a footballer, he can help you out with your. It's quite interesting. Just I've looked at the pitch representation website just finally just to see what agents offer players now. So as well as your contract negotiation, deal brokering, club sourcing, they'll also look after your brand management and sales, media broadcasts, digital and social media management. So basically run your Twitter account and Facebook and Instagram. They'll also sort out your wealth management. Uh, this is where you get to rip off players, I think. And then uh, act as your concierge and lifestyle was uh, one I thought was quite funny. Maybe uh, Henry Lansbury's with them. Yeah, that's that's the role of uh, you know. Can can you sort me a table in Ibiza, or can you sort me a private yacht? Yeah, and no, all that exactly. Sort of shite. That would be a good documentary, I think. You know, if Amazon want to get on it. Well, footballers in the off season, behind the scenes at such uh, player representation setups as this, doing the yeah, whole. Amazon kind of- presents the super agent behind the scenes with uh, Jorge Mendes and Luke Young. <laughs> <laughs> Right, it's time to uh, get out of here as our brains implode on us. Uh, enough of right backs. I can't. We, we can't be speaking about right backs anymore until the season kicks off and we actually see one play. I think. Uh, thank you very much uh, again to all the uh, my old man said patrons uh, in the close season that have signed up, and uh, we look forward to getting going with uh, Match Club again, which I'm sh- will be very much in demand as uh, we'll start the season behind closed doors once again. Please do uh, subscribe to the podcast on all good podcast apps that you listen to, and uh, especially if it's Apple or Spotify. And until next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.